chapter 8, if you'll find that in your copy of God's Word, and when you do, if you'll please rise in reverence to the Word of God as it is both read and then preached. Hosea chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, My God, we Israel know you. Israel has spurred the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. For they shall sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. It were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are amongst the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey, wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the king and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my law, by the ten thousands they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. If you are a parent or a grandparent, then most of your life is spent warning your children or your grandchildren. We are always looking out, mothers and grandmothers, perhaps more than fathers and grandfathers, for possible problems that our children might encounter, warning them of possible harm. And so we say things like, don't stick your finger in the outlet, don't put a knife in the toaster, don't ride your bike in the street, don't put your cup so close to the edge of the table, don't take candy from strangers, don't talk to strangers, pick up your toys so that you won't trip, look both ways before crossing the street, wash your hands before you eat, and the ever-important, put the toilet seat down. And I'm sure there are many more that you have said, including these. And why do we do these things? Well, we do these things because we ultimately love our children and also because we know actions have consequences, that by doing the right thing, we'll have less possibility of danger and harm, whereas doing the wrong things, we have a higher likelihood of there being problems. Now, some problems can be quite harmless, like spilling milk, but the others can be quite serious, even the potential loss of life. And so, therefore, we hope 
and pray that our children learn these lessons, again, ultimately because we love them. Yet as much as we warn them to do this or not do that, we can't do it for them. They need to do it. And if they don't, they reap the consequences. And yet not all consequences are immediate. Sometimes they are gradual. And so, therefore, the old statement is true that you ultimately reap what you sow. And that is what Hosea chapter 8 is all about. Israel has had blatant disregard for God, for his ways, for his rule. They had gone after other gods. They had set up their own kings, their own idols, their own worship. They ultimately had gone in their own direction. And therefore, they are shocked when they have negative consequences. Although, they shouldn't be shocked because God warns them all along that if you go in this direction, these are the things that are going to happen and it will not be good. And yet, like a rebellious child, they continue to go on in their own way. And as a parent would say to their child, So too, God says, if you only listened, if you only listened, you wouldn't have to deal with these consequences. And rather, you could reap the benefits of obeying. And there's many lessons for us here as well. Though we have done similar things, similar sinful things, God has been gracious to us, oftentimes saving us from our own foolishness. And he does so because he loves us and continues to remind us of his ways, of his covenants. And as we learn, we are not to carry on in our foolishness, not to carry on in our ignorance, doing the same foolish things. Rather than sowing foolishness, God tells us to sow that which is right, that which is God-given, so not only that we would enjoy life, and the benefits of it, but ultimately we would enjoy him and relationship with him. And so the two points tonight come from that main verse in verse 7 of chapter 8, where it says, they sow the wind, and as a result they shall reap the whirlwind. And so the two points tonight are just simply that, sowing the wind and reaping the whirlwind. First, sowing the wind. Admittedly, as you go through this book of Hosea and many of the minor prophets and some of the major prophets, prophecy can be very difficult to interpret. Sometimes it's not always linear in thought or even in logic. It's not always A plus B equals C. It's poetic But usually you can find a a few key verses or phrases or thoughts to understand the concept of what the passage is talking about. And here in chapter 8, I think it is that verse in verse 7, the idea of sowing the wind and reaping the whirlwind. And that is a very picturesque metaphor, is it not, of sowing the wind, and as a result, reaping the consequences, reaping the whirlwind. And the people during Hosea's time were very much an agricultural people. 
And so they would understand this idea of sowing and of reaping. Now, as I mentioned earlier, not many of us are farmers these days, but we're not so far removed that we can't understand this metaphor. If a farmer wants to be a successful farmer, he needs to start with the end in mind, the goal. And the goal, obviously, to be a good farmer is to have a productive harvest. And so then you have to think, what are the steps? What are the means in order to get there? And one of the steps, if not the main step, is to have good seed. Again, as I said, you're probably more familiar with this than you think. If you've ever seeded or reseeded your yard, you go to Home Depot or Lowe's or one of the local nurseries and you look at the bags of grass seed and you want to find good grass seed. And oftentimes on that grass seed, there's a germination rate according to the manufacturer, how much of this seed is going to grow if you give it the proper nutrients and do the things according to the instruction. And the higher the rate, the better the seed. And that's important. We all want good seed because we don't want to go through all of this trouble for nothing. But what if you did go out there and sow nothing? What if you went out there and went through the motions, walked the field or walked the yard, and you perfected your casting motion, but you were casting nothing at all? Or perhaps you were casting seed that was no good, that would not sprout or grow. We would all say that is pretty foolish. And that is what Hosea's Israel was doing. They were sowing the wind, sowing ultimately nothingness. Sowing that which would not produce a good harvest. And we see why this is, as it says in verse 1. It says, they have transgressed my covenant. They have rebelled against my law. Verse 3, they have spurned the good. In other words, God through Hosea is saying they have revoked the relationship with me. And they have turn from what I have told them, the law. And they have actually done the opposite. They've spurned the good. It'd be like a child saying to their parents, I don't want you to be my father or my mother anymore. And I'm not going to do what you say. In fact, I'm going to do the exact opposite. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's essentially what Israel was doing. They were a rebellious child. And yet, seemingly, they are foolish and even deceived in their rebellion because as you see there in verse 2 yet they cry my God we Israel know you isn't that interesting even as God says to them you've spurred my covenant you have rejected my law you have done the opposite of that which is good and yet in the midst of that they are saying oh yes we know God we acknowledge you oh God we claim you you are our God. And yet by their actions they prove otherwise. In other words, they give lip service, but their hearts and lives are far from him. And so we see these to be the empty words that they are. And by their actions they go about their sowing, so to speak. 
but they are sowing the wind. They are sowing that nothingness. We see in verse 4 that they set up their own kings and rulers. It says they made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. If you remember back in 1 Samuel 8, the whole concept of the king in Israel was ultimately a rejection of God as king. And the Lord actually says to Samuel that they have rejected me as king. And yet the Lord allows Israel to have that which they desire, even though it is not right, even though it is not good for it. And Samuel warns them what's going to happen if you have a king like the rest of the nations. The king is going to take your sons and your daughters. He's going to take your vineyards and your olive orchards. He's going to take your livestock and much, much more. And that's exactly what happens. And we read of the consequences in Israel's history. And ultimately sets off a chain reaction of consequences. Multiple things that we can all see that are not good. And we see this during the days of Rehoboam, no doubt, when he essentially increases the the taxes so much and increases the, the stronghold upon the people that Jeroboam, along with the ten tribes, separate themselves and start their own nation. And so we have the separation of the northern kingdom from the southern kingdom, from Judah and Benjamin, from the ten tribes in the north. And those ten tribes in the north are the tribes that Hosea is ministering to. He and Amos are the only prophets that we know of that ministered primarily in the northern kingdom. And, and we know as we read in, in First Kings and First and Second Chronicles that the kings of Israel, of the northern kingdom, were all rebellious. They were all wicked. They all did what was right in their own eyes. And through their sin, they led the people in further and further and greater sin. And as a result, they, as a nation, spiraled out of control. In fact, the final years of the northern kingdom were so terrible that there was hardly a king that would reign more than a few years before he was assassinated. And then that one that did the assassination would rule and then he would be killed by someone else. It all comes back to that fundamental reason that they had rejected God and his ways and his rule over them. As it says here, they made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. It goes on to say in verse 4, in the second half of verse 4, with their silver and gold they made idols for their own destruction. Remember Jeroboam, one of his first acts as king was to set up two places of worship, both in Dan and as well as in Samaria. And he made two golden calves. We read of this in 1 Kings 12. And there you see the heart of Jeroboam. This blatant disregard to the commands of God. Not only was he disobeying the second commandments, but he was also rejecting history, the covenant history. Surely Jeroboam knew 
of what Aaron did in the days before in the desert, as Aaron made a golden calf in the desert. And surely Jeroboam knew that that was not a good thing, right? Not everything that Israel did was right, and surely this was something that was wrong, and yet Jeroboam does the exact same thing. Has the people enter into the same idol worship or worshiping God through idols. And so we see them setting up their own way of worship. And so through this kings and through this false worship, we see them sowing the wind, so to speak. Doing that which is right in their own eyes. Rejecting that which is of substance to do that which is of nothingness, of wind as it were. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, where it says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. And we see the foolishness of that, the chasing after the wind. You can never catch the wind, can you? In the same way, what foolishness it is here to sow the wind. And so we see, second then, as a result, they reap the whirlwind. You would think that if you reap, or if you sow nothing, then you would get nothing, right? Well, that is not true. And again, you might be more familiar with this than you even think. If you leave a garden or a section of grass to itself for a while... If you leave it barren, if you don't plant anything to it, if you don't tend to it, that ground doesn't just stay as barren ground, does it? Quickly there are weeds that grow up, and thorns and thistles. And as a result, that ground becomes taken over with things that are not good. And so even though you, in a sense, did nothing, you don't reap nothing, right? You reap the negative consequences of you doing nothing. We have a house in our neighborhood currently that's undergoing renovation. And a few weeks ago, they decided to take out the driveway. And they did so right before we had all of this rain that has come. And as a result, this driveway, which was a steep slope, all of that dirt that was underneath it has now washed down and washed away. Again, because there was nothing there to stop the rain from washing it away. Sowing nothing doesn't mean that we reap nothing. No, there's something that always fills the vacuum. And what comes is never good. And that's what Hosea is saying that as they sow the wind, they reap the whirlwind. They reap the negative consequences. And again, we see this in this passage because they rejected God as king, his covenant, his law, his ways. They don't receive the benefit. They don't see the fruits. As it says in verse 7, the end of verse 7, the standing grain has no heads, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Again, even the harvest that they plant, they do not get to enjoy the fruits of it because God is not blessing their harvest, is not blessing their fields. 
goes on to say, because they have established their own kings, they are powerless. It says, verse 8, Israel swallowed up amongst the nations, and they are as a useless vessel. It says that they, in verse 9, hire lovers. Verse 10, though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up, and as the king and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Notice what Hosea is saying there, because they have rejected God as their king. They've also rejected his protection, his provision for them. And so they have to go to other nations in order to be protected and provided for them. But these nations have no desire for them. They only use them. They use them for tributes and as vessels, as servants. They take their money but do not provide anything good for them. And ultimately, in the end, they're destroyed by them. This is verse 9. They have gone up to Assyria. Well, we know in 722, they didn't have to go up to Assyria. Assyria came down to them and ultimately destroyed them as a nation. They sowed the wind, and as a result, they reaped the whirlwind. Again, talking about setting up their own worship. Verse 3, it talked about how they spurred the good. Notice in verse 5, it says, I have spurred your calf, O Samaria, and my anger burns against them. Verse 11, they have set up multiple altars for sinning, and they have become to him altars for sinning. But verse 13, it says, as for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Notice they set up their own altars, and as a result, God no longer accepts their altars and their sacrifices. Verse 12, I write my laws by the ten thousands, but they regard them as strange things. Verse 14, they have forgotten their maker. And so verse 13 says that as a result, I will punish their sins. I will remember their iniquities and they shall return to Egypt. We see as a result of doing their own things, going their own ways, as they sow the wind, they reap the whirlwind. We see the treacherous consequences And there's so many principles to this, are there not? This is true of any nation. This is true of us as a nation. Whereas I don't liken the United States to Israel, Israel of old, there are righteous principles. The principles of what is right and good and true that are established by God. And the further we stray from these principles as a nation, the more consequences we have. And that is absolutely true. It's true to life. It's true to nature. It's true to being human and how God has established the world. And so if we as a nation sow the wind, so to speak, we will reap the whirlwind. And this is not only true for the nation, it's true for the church as well. I was... Amused, but only in a 
sad way and really a terrible way. This week as I read an article about a church, a denomination in Canada, perhaps you read this, the United Church in Canada, which is the second largest denomination, and it talked about how a woman pastor would not face a heresy trial nor lose her position in the church as a pastor, even though, quote, she does not believe in God, Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit. And actually has written that belief in God can motivate bad things, quote, unquote. And so, in other words, she is an avowed atheist, and yet she is a pastor of a church, and she can remain such. And you might ask, how can a denomination get to that point? Well, as they have continually undermined the authority, the foundation, the solid rock of the word of God, and as a result have replaced it with subjective feelings and thoughts when someone's beliefs or lack thereof no longer include God, well, those beliefs have to be included as well. Just like every other point of view has been accepted. That they have not rightly divided right from wrong. And we would say this is foolishness. This is vanity. It's a sowing of the wind and as a result reaping the whirlwinds. And those whirlwinds have consequences, do they not? They will destroy. And so it's easy to point the finger elsewhere, but not to point the finger at ourselves. But I think this passage would point the finger to ourselves as well. That we should not be so confident or so prideful to think that at times we don't sow the wind. And that there won't be negative consequences to doing so. If we know our own nature, we know that our nature is to go in directions of foolishness. For us not to be wholehearted as we talked about last week, but rather be half-hearted. And in being half-hearted, there's something else that fills the void, does it not? Something that is not good. Just like as if you don't plant anything in your garden. There's something else that will grow there. But there are things that you do not want. They are not a fruitful harvest. And so we can praise God that God has saved us from foolishness. He has redeemed us. He has made us new creatures. He's taken our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. But we must continue on. In that salvation, we must persevere in that which is right. We must continue to fight the good fight. To battle on in that which is right and in that which is true. This week in the men's Bible study, we are going through Ephesians chapter 6 and we're looking at the armor of God and we looked at the breastplate of righteousness and we are seeing how Paul depicts righteousness as that breastplate that would be on a Roman soldier. And that breastplate would protect the vital organs, that would protect the heart and the lung and, and the, the places where if you had a blow, 
to that area, it would be a fatal blow. It would be a blow that would no doubt take your life. And Paul is saying that if there is not righteousness there, if there is not that which is right, then we are destroyed already. And we can praise God first and foremost that we have the righteousness of Christ that we are dressed in. But we also must persevere in that righteousness. Continue to do that which is right and good. Because if we remove that which is right, then we go into the battle, as it were, without a breastplate. And the world and the flesh and the devil will deliver that fatal blow. And so we need to sow what is right. We need to sow what is good. We need to sow that which is true. In other words, we need to be proactive and not just idle. We don't want to sow the wind or sow nothingness. And we can praise God this night that he has given us good seed in which to sow. He ultimately has given us himself. As we see this night through the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ has given us all. And so we need to sow our lives for the work of Christ. Give our lives to him in service and dedication just as he gave his life for us. At the same time, he has given us the knowledge and revelation of himself. He's given us the word of God, the holy scriptures, and we need it. We need it personally. We need it in the life of the church. We need it in this country. We need it in our families individually. We need to continually sow the word, the word of God, to be reformed by it, to be comforted and convicted through it be brought into conformity by it. And we need all the means of grace, the sacraments and prayer and fellowship and discipline and church membership. We need one another, do we not? Living in covenant community with each other. And so we do not have nothing. In fact, we have been given all things in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let us use them. Because in so using them, God will bless. Because if one reaps, or excuse me, if one sows the wind, they will reap the whirlwind. But the opposite is also true. That if we sow the things of God, then we should also expect to reap a spiritual harvest. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And so let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Notice how Paul is taking very much, seemingly, a lot of the language as we see it here in Hosea, that if we sow to the flesh, that is like sowing to the wind. And you will reap, as he says here, the corruption. But, he goes on to say, if you sow to the spirits, 
You'll reap the spirit. You'll reap the eternal life. And so let us, as he says, not grow weary of doing good. Let us continue to sow that which is good and right and true. Sow to the spirit so as to reap eternal life. And so whereas we might warn our children, warn our grandchildren, give them instructions and do so out of love, so too the Lord has given us all that we need through his word and through his spirit. And so may we reap the benefits both individually and corporately as we sow to the spirit and reap eternal life. Amen.